Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here as well. And it is our favorite episode of the year, and hopefully yours too. The Feinberg finale is upon us, Michael. Yes, the Oscarologist is back. He is uh, certainly one of our heroes here on the show. We, we, you know, we, we've done this every year, this special with him, the Feinberg final. And, you know, we've talked to him about his bio. I hope those those episodes have shelf lives forever because it's not just the awards prognostication part. We, we do ask him about how he does what he does. And it's always fascinating. He's, he's one of our favorite guests every single year, Mike, for that reason. And guys, you know, make sure you're listening to his podcast. He's interviewing all the nominees each and every year for each and every award show, like, the Oscars, uh, Brendan Fraser, Kihei Kwan, <laughs> Kate Blanchett, Austin Butler, Angela Bassett, all recent episodes on Awards Chatter, uh, along with Malala, Yousef Zai. Yes, that Malala, yeah. uh, Yousef Zai. It's just amazing who he gets to be, to tell their life stories on Awards Chatter, and it, it's just a, our favorite podcast. So listen to that and obviously read The Hollywood Reporter, The Feinberg Forecast. He's got uh, the, the Hollywood Reporter print edition this week the oscars edition uh he's going to talk about what's to come in that uh during this interview and uh yeah pick it up pick it up absolutely and uh it's one of the the treats is that he always leaves us with a little preview about what that edition does have in store and this this episode is no different he's going to tease it and it's a biggie it's uh probably you know arguably it's the, what started the, our podcast essentially biggest, <laughs> biggest oscars movie of all time at least one of them uh so stay tuned for that stay tuned for the entire conversation the feinberg final scott feinberg of the hollywood reporter joins mmo once again talk about all things oscars this coming oscars and uh in the future we go we will see you all on the other side. All right, on the line, our good buddy Scott Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter. Scott, thank you for joining us once again. Good to be back, gentlemen. How are you? Doing all right, doing well. Uh, it was it was a bit the first time we did it, and now I guess four or five years later it's become tradition. we got to ask you right off the top. Maybe it's going to be easier to answer this year than other years, but Scott, who's going to win Best Picture this year? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, it's always scary because you don't want to be too definitive about these things, especially with the preferential ballot. Anything can happen. I think, you know, it's one of those years where all the evidence points towards, or let's say 99% of the evidence points towards <laughs> one thing, which would be everything everywhere all at once. It swept all the major guild prizes. It won Critics' Choice, uh, on and on. Um, but on a preferential ballot, it is a little disconcerting because this is, as I'm sure you guys hear when you just talk to, to folks, like it's a polarizing movie and people really love it or they really get lost and turn it off. And so, uh, you know, maybe the, the Academy being slightly older than these other organizations, you know, the average member being slightly older than the average member of these other organizations does make you a little bit uh, more hesitant about calling it a done deal. And the other thing is that BAFTA, which is often a good indicator of how 
you know, European voters are feeling, they mm-hmm. went with All Quiet on the Western Front, which has not had to go up against um, everything everywhere directly in too many places. None of these major guild awards, uh, none of the, you know, just very, this is going to be the first time that on a, certainly on a preferential ballot, they're head to head. And so I do think that if my, my sense is that if there was to be a surprise, it would be all quiet on the Western front, which is a more traditional Oscar kind of movie. It, of course, an earlier version did win best picture. Mm. Uh, and so I do have that sort of as my, my hedge, but I, I think it would be hard to, it would be hard to actually pull the trigger on predicting anything other than everything everywhere. I got to follow up on All Quiet because it seemingly came not out of nowhere, but All Quiet on the Western Front was not sweeping the international film category. RRR was winning some some awards there, and it did not win big at the EFAs, All Quiet. All Quiet on the Western Front becomes a 14-time BAFTA nominee, a seven-time winner, like BAFTA loved this. Did you get like wind of Netflix just going hard at BAFTA? They knew it was BAFTA's sweet spot. They knew they were going to go hog on it because of. No, I can tell you that even that morning, mm. speaking with, um, you know, Netflix sources who I deal with, they were. I was like, "What's the best case scenario here?" And I think it was, you know, basically like we, you know, we're counting on international feature and maybe. I forget what the other, maybe score was the mm-hmm. sort of expectation. And if we can get one or two others, that would be amazing. And film was never even part of the film director. That was never even part of the conversation. So when that happened, wow. I think it really surprised them and made them realize that it's time to, to heavily focus on this. They had spent way too much of the season, probably for, for understandable internal political reasons, really focusing on glass onion, which mm-hmm. to me was never going to happen. It's not an Academy kind of movie. There's it's, you know, script was always the best case scenario and they ended up getting that. But the focus on that, I think diverted them for, for a long time from focusing on all quiet. And maybe that's not the worst thing because all quiet obviously was, has been peaking at just the right moment. So maybe, maybe it was all a positive, but the bottom line is that, you know, it dominated at BAFTA. It then got a ton of Oscar nominations, more than any non-English language film except for uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Roma. Both had ten. This one had nine. Other than in history, other than those two, you've never had a non-English language movie that's been that embraced. So that's pretty striking, and that's you know partly why I think you can't write it off. Also, you know we've been hearing for years, Netflix, people don't want to vote for Netflix movies and whatever. Theoretically, that was the argument. I don't even know that, you know, that's because this one has not been so heavily promoted or focused, the focus of Netflix throughout the season. I just don't feel like that's even, um, you know, they haven't kind of done overkill on the campaign. That's caused that kind of backlash that there was with, let's say Roma or, um, you know, you could even say marriage story or certain others where uh, sometimes it's a little heavy handed. So I, you know, it's a wild card. I would not be, I think we would all be surprised if 
everything everywhere doesn't win, but that would be the one other result that to me is fathomable. Otherwise for these others, you know, there was a time I thought Top Gun Maverick could do it. There was a time and, and I guess with a preferential ballot, anything's still possible, but those any other result other than everything everywhere or all quiet to me just would be a complete shocker. <laughs> I, I I tend to agree with you, but I also wonder I mean you brought up the point you know, BAFTA kind of taking everyone by surprise and doing this, but they also have this history of promoting the the European and uh, let's be honest, I mean, white performances over more historically diverse performances Mm -hmm. with the new Academy. We talked about this with you every year. It seems now, you know, the widening Academy, the more diverse Academy, the Academy initiative to become both of those things. Do you find that there's this idea that, well, maybe that was just BAFTA being BAFTA when it came to the way they kind of didn't vote for Kiwi Kwan and, and they didn't vote for uh, Angela Bassett and they did promote All Quiet to just this grand degree. Or is that kind of outrage just kind of been relegated to just noise from film Twitter and it is more of a, you know, this could be a very serious reflection of what does go on in the Academy? Well, I mean, it's we won't know until, until we get the results, but I will say that BAFTA's best film correlation with the oscar best picture has not been good i think it's only like honestly like one out of the last eight or something have have overlapped so that in and of itself is not enough of a reason to um and the the other thing is that their nomination process for a lot of these categories now is so different than any other groups where they have these small juries and they have criteria and all this stuff you know where steven spielberg's not even getting shortlisted um they're they are very possibly an outlier, but when there has been an upset that has come, or you know, when there, when you have seen sort of uh, momentum behind European projects or people, it's often first the first hint has, or an early hint has come from them. And I think you know that's why I don't particularly put a lot of stock in, let's say, Barry Keoghan. If that's how you pronounce it, you know, him winning there over <laughs> Kihei Kwan doesn't really, to me, mean that much. I mean, they, I don't think that, I think they have a tendency to champion, you know, European talent. That's, that's right. fine. Uh, right. they, whatever. But when Austin Butler there still beats Colin Farrell, even though you've got all these other, uh, Banshee's people overperforming, Carrie Condon, on and on. That's pretty striking to me because that tells me that even they are extremely enthusiastic about Austin Butler to the extent that they would pick him over the, you know, homegrown talent. So that's the kinds of things that I think you can take away from them. But I I don't think that just because they picked All Quiet for Best Film, that in and of itself, um, you know, is a huge marker they just they don't have a great track record yeah the BAFTA track record is definitely something we've been wrestling with of Mm -hmm. late and uh I I guess there's kind of a disconnect between the new nomination process and what they're voting on but I I, we could come circle back around to that in a minute I did want to ask you about Kihei Kwan you just had a a great live show performed Mm -hmm. at Chapman University and you know, you had most of the cast from Everything Everywhere All at Once on Awards Chatter this year. Scott, Michelle Yeoh, also at Chapman University. Just to kind of segue into these acting categories a bit more, I don't know how you find the time to be a trustee professor <laughs> there on top of everything you're doing, journalism, forecaster, podcaster, but 
you got the chance, and, and Mike and I have been working in education for years, and you got the chance to, you know, share the joys of your show with your students at Chapman. Uh, yo, Quan, Inaritu, Farrell, Blanchett, Frazier, Butler, all recorded in front of, you know, the Chapman U crowd. That's got to mean a lot to you. What has it meant to you to, you know, yeah, share no, that with your students? Thanks for, as always, for, first of all, listening to the podcast and noting that. And, yeah, it's been it's been a special thing because, you know, these guys don't have to do it either. They could say, look, we'll only do the podcast in LA or we won't do it at all. But I mean, the fact that uh, they've been willing to make that drive, which, you know, if it's Mm -hmm. rush hour is not a short drive. We try to not do it during rush hour, but like, you know, it's meant a lot to, a lot to me, a lot to the students. You should see how, uh, nuts they go for for each mm-hmm. of these guests, which is really nice. And I think, truthfully, for the actors, especially over the course of a very long, you know, campaign season, where sometimes you feel like you're just um, selling yourself all the time, it does actually feel nicer because you're giving something back to students. And so, yeah, it's still going to be an episode of the podcast, but it's not just self promotion. It's actually you know, taking questions from students as well and and seeing right in front of your eyes that there are, you know, film aspiring filmmakers who you're reaching. So I think that it's it's just kind of uh, organically evolved into what it is, but it, it certainly meant a lot to have so many great folks uh, willing to come do this in person at, at Chapman. I, I mean, those have been some of the best episodes to listen to, certainly. And it's, I mean, right. you're filling the, the James Lipton type uh, role, there, right? <laughs> doing it in front of uh, students there. That's a badly needed uh, role being filled. So uh, we right. do appreciate that. But uh, to awkward transition here from something happy to something a little more controversial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are on the heels. The, we're on the morning after the, the big response, finally, a year in waiting from the Chris Rock special selective outrage. There's layers to this, obviously, because everyone, you know, one had to wait a year to hear what Chris Rock had to say about Will Smith from his own mouth to Netflix's first foray into a live entertainment special like they did here. Uh, and then they had the post show with Dana Carvey and uh, 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 why can't I think of his name? David Spade uh, hosting it there on the, the, the panel type show afterwards. I, I'm wondering... You know, there's going to be a lot said this week, and it is Oscars week, and I think that's obviously purposeful by Netflix why they scheduled it now. But I'm wondering if you just have, one, heard anything yet. Uh, it is so fresh and so new. Any kind of back- backlash or outrage or any kind of feedback about the performance in the industry, for one. And two, do you have confidence in the new leadership of the Academy for them to handle what's obviously going to be talked about on the red carpet, and it's going to be this looming thing over the Oscars broadcast on Sunday night, it's going to have to be addressed, and I think it will be addressed in some way, shape, or form by Kimmel, obviously, in the monologue, I think we would all expect. But one, do you, I, do you, have you heard anything? And two, do you have, I mean, what is your faith level in the Academy's new leadership to kind of handle what's probably coming? Yeah, so, I mean, I like everybody, I watched the special last night. I did not watch the after show so I don't know if I missed anything important there but it was I actually was surprised he didn't spend more time on it you know mm-hmm. it seemed like he he certainly you know teased it a couple times finally got to it at the end but I think it was all you know in total probably like three minutes and uh, and truthfully if I'm uh, you know when Netflix I think agreed to pay him like 20 million dollars to do this I think it was largely you know, on the one hand, yes, they want to make a big splash with their first foray into live 
programming. Yes, it's Chris Rock, so if you're going to do any stand-up special, that's probably the one to do. But I think a lot of it was knowing that there's going to be all this discussion about or that there would be discussion about, um, you know, just the Will Smith thing and that, uh, yeah, like you said, I don't know if it was Chris Rock or them asking that, it, you know, the timing be the week before the Oscars, but that can't be a coincidence. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it was interesting, and I think nothing that surprising about his his take on things. And I I also think that Will Smith has been, you know, kind of strategically trying to reintegrate into society. I mean, he was at the African American Film Critics Association Awards uh, a few days ago, a few nights mm-hmm. ago. He has been you know, it's not like he's MIA anymore, which was, which was the case for, for quite a while after the Oscars. I think that my, my strong suspicion is that the Academy is going to, and, and probably having communicated this to, to Kimmel, who's going to do his own thing, but I just, I think it's going to be minimally addressed. I don't think that they've, they've, you know, communicated that at all member meeting a few months ago where they were saying look our own members thought the show was a disaster we have no desire to uh you know ever see anything like this again and it's not a laughing matter to them it's not something that they want to joke about they were very quick normally they don't comment on speculation about who the potential host would be but before they signed up kimmel they immediately squashed the you know rumor that they were going back to chris rock because they they just don't want this to be the focus. It, it was not a good moment for them. It didn't, you know, there's an assumption that, oh, that must be the thing that helps ratings, but I'm not sure at all that that's actually the case. And I do know for a fact that, you know, both their new CEO, Bill Kramer, and their new president, Janet Yang, are, you know, would love to, nothing more than for this to be completely forgotten. So I don't think that it's going to be something that, you know, it was, I was actually surprised when Janet Yang even mentioned it at the nominees luncheon where, you know, right. she referred to the fact that we had this bad incident last year and we're not going to tolerate that. You know, it was just sort of weird to even bring it up, knowing how much they don't want it brought up again. But mm-hmm. I guess maybe they felt they had to, that was the moment to just kind of, you know, like be the principal of the school, basically, and just say no bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I really don't think that it's going to be a big part of the ceremony. I don't think that we're going to see any kind of Chris Rock presence. I could be wrong about that, but I I just, I think they want to focus on other things, knowing that even forget about the, the rest of the world, their own members were so outraged. That was not exaggerated. And, you know, they do have to keep them happy too. The, Acting categories have given us some just absolute shocks over the last few years. And, and and last year, it wasn't with the winners. It was obviously with the slap. The year before that, it was with the winners, with uh, Chadwick Boseman losing at the end of the night to Anthony Hopkins. But it's it's just such a wild four categories this year in particular in terms of, of the winners again. And I'm hoping that can get us past whatever is reverberating in our ears from the slap like you're saying, I, I, I'm sure the Academy wants that to happen as well. 
like Scott, we're tracking this sort of thing as pundits, and, and you know we're doing a show. I mean, bottom line is we want to have fun conversations about the Oscars. We want to do it a hundred times a year. That's our favorite thing. That's why we're doing this. And the conversations about these acting categories has been a blast. We got so many great narratives, so many great stories, so many redemption stories. Kihei Kwan, Brendan Fraser. I mean, your Austin Butler episode. Uh, the other day, I never knew that about his mother and and how he's he's gotten past uh, grieving for her and holy cow! I mean, this has just been a tremendous season and we don't know who's gonna win this year. We have four categories. SAG went four different ways. BAFTA went the other. You already talked about BAFTA, and I'm I'm wondering how you think we got such variance this year because yes, BAFTA can be homers. We know this. But the Globes and Critics' Choice didn't exactly set us up for SAG either. Jamie Lee Curtis comes out of nowhere for SAG. Is it just the differences in the votership? Is it the sequence of awards this year? Because last year we we finished with a different award show. How the hell do you think we got a, such a lack of consensus this time? Well, first of all, I agree with the premise that, you know, when's the last time I think that we had three of the four acting categories where truly – we can't say with any confidence who it's going to be. I mean, we might be down to two, might be down to three, but like there's only one slam dunk and that's Kihei Kwan. And mm. Uh, mm-hmm. so that in and of itself is, is exciting and also nerve wracking for people trying to, <laughs> you know, opine about this stuff. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, partly just obviously the, the nature of the, the, performances in the movies like you you know you look at best actress you've got two stars of best picture nominees with Blanchett and yo that are both you know strong contenders all around they're both they are the center of their movies that in and of itself has been unfortunately quite rare that you know this is not like Felicity Jones playing the, the loving wife of of Eddie Redmayne in theory of everything. These are the, these women are the center of their movies, everything they're in every scene of their movies. And so, um, you know, and you've got one who gives probably the performance of her career, which is something, well, both I think give the performance of their career, but in the case of Kate Blanchett, that's a career that has already yielded two Oscars and could have had more. And so to say that it's her, you know, many, probably most people feel it's her best performance yet given how many great performances she's given in the past, that's an amazing statement. But then you go to Michelle Yeoh, who, unlike Kate Blanchett, hasn't won once, hasn't won twice, has never won, has never been nominated, and, you know, this may be her best shot. And so it really, you know, there's there's strong arguments for going either way. And I've heard members saying, like, you know, everything from, I thought Kate Blanchett was stronger, but she has too, so I want to give it to... Michelle Yeoh, who who mm-hmm. I love also, and who you know hasn't had as many opportunities or whatever. Then you've got people. It's just you, you get. There's no clarity and no consistency in how people are breaking on that on that race in particular. And I, you know, SAG has last year was four for four with overlapping with the Oscars, but usually, at least as often, uh, they are not four for four. So if there were to be and when there are discrepancies between SAG and the Oscars, it's usually, for whatever the reasons, SAG has gone for the more uh, diverse 
slate of winners and the academy less so. And again, you know, that you could argue it's demographics or whatever. I'm not I, I don't want to try to diagnose why that is. But the fact of the matter is that there have been many examples, you know, the two Ma Rainey actors winning at SAG and then losing at the Oscars. Right. Uh, just the one, you know, those are some recent you could go. Idris Elba wins at SAG, wasn't even nominated for the Oscars. So to me, the striking thing about SAG was that it was not that Michelle Yeoh won, but it was that Angela Bassett lost. Because if that 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 was probably a a very bad sign for her prospects. Again, it can be overcome. You had Regina King lost SAG and BAFTA and still won. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that you know the Academy has never, outside of the below the line categories, really embraced you know Marvel movies. Yes, Black Panther, the first one, was nominated for Best Picture. Um, but you look at you know Angela's Bassett is the first performer from a Marvel movie to even be nominated. I just I don't think that a lot of voters are even interested in watching the movie, unfortunately. And I don't think it's because of, I, you know, again, I don't, I want hesitant to diagnose the reasons, but I just, I don't think it's about race as much as genre. And so that's a problem there. The people that, you know, and the fact that we thought she was the early front runner, well, the two groups that awarded her were both groups of journalists of which there are zero in the Academy. So the fact right. that critics choice and golden globes liked it, you know, we have to really take that with a, a grain of salt. And it's in some ways much more striking that, you know, BAFTA goes for Kerry Condon, SAG goes for Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, that one, I think, is a three-way race. And I, at this point, think that, you know, in Jamie Lee, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, just being the veteran, having been around, uh, you could make an argument for her and being a part of, you know, Best Picture frontrunner. Um, Carrie Conan has, I think, you know, it's, it's, I could talk myself into each of those, but I think I now have the hardest time talking myself into Angela Bassett there. So that's yeah. not where we expect it to be a few, just a few weeks ago. So, and you've commented on how the, there was this, you know, resistance in the Academy to Netflix and the Netflix or the anti-Netflix bias, however you want to word it and how that was a very real thing the Marvel bias or a bias against Marvel movies has been a talking point, not only within the Academy, but also just in the film world at large. And obviously with, you know, referencing the Scorsese piece that he, the editorial he wrote about it a couple of years ago that caused a lot of uh, conversation online and stuff. But that's, that's a very real thing that you still deal with on a, when you talk to these people and talk to members of the Academy, there is a Marvel bias. I, I mean, I don't think they even see it that way, but I just don't think that they look at, they, they look at, a lot of them look at those movies as kind of fluff. You know, it's not, uh, I, I think they have a hard time taking them seriously. And again, this is not specific to the black Panther franchise. I think right. it's specific. Right. It's, it's the, you know, comic book movies and yes, younger voters have less of that issue. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's like, I mean, it's it's sort of across the board. These other organizations weren't exactly nominating Black Panther for best picture, Black Panther two for best picture either, and you know for other things there. And um, so anyway, I I I think that they're moving closer towards that being less of an issue, but I don't think they're necessarily there yet. Well, 
and that was, I mean, so I'm, I'm wondering in my head and, and listening to you explain this and talk it out, then is there, it seems like you would think there is a legitimate reason to worry about everything everywhere's best picture chances then with the same academy as voting on all these things. Well, the biggest issue is the preferential ballot, because if you're in back in the day of five best picture nominees where you need 21% to win, um, you know, clearly the movie that's winning the guilds is and dominating everywhere. You know, it's easier to get to 21% than it is to get to 50% of on a, on a rank choice ballot. And so I do think that, you know, it is not a obvious consensus movie in the way that even Coda. Yeah. There were plenty of people who, who thought Coda was, you know, not a masterpiece, but they, it was hard to, find people who thought it was who just hated it you know but right. there are people who are telling me and i talked to my colleagues slash competitors and to others they have tried to watch everything everywhere multiple times because they know that it's been so embraced by others <clears throat> and they can't do it they just give up on it so oh. it is a it's a different wow. dynamic and i do, it, the question is just going to be how many of those there actually are and versus you know, you got to get to 50% plus one. And, and I, I still do think that that can happen for That's more likely than not to happen for everything everywhere than any other movie, but it's not, it's not an easy, it's not a slam dunk. So the Academy is, uh, it was 6,000 before it expanded to 10,000. There's, there was a lot of incumbents obviously. And, we got a real kick out of your reporting uh, at the uh, Oscar nominees luncheon this year because an old movie star just, like, stole the show. I mean, he seemed to have held court, uh, and it was just, like, abundantly apparent that he, like, had these just amazing uh, – whenever he showed up at an event, whether it was Cannes or the PGA Awards, he ran the thing. And I'm just wondering, Scott, like – what if Tom Cruise campaigned like that all season? What would it have meant for Top Gun, uh, Mavericks' chances in Best Picture? What would it have meant? Because, like, the Everything Everywhere group, they're everywhere, literally 50 times a week, it seems. Tom Cruise shows up to three, four events. What would it have meant? Well, it's a great question, and we'll never know for sure. I could see it having gone either way. On the one hand, you know, a little of him goes a long way. So I think they they kept it really special when he did show up by not having him be everywhere. And I do think that one of their, you know, concerns probably was that at some point Scientology is going to come up and then that mm. can only create a, a different story rather than, you know, everyone talking about Spielberg telling him he saved the movies. Then you get into a back and forth about, I think they, they didn't – I think they, they just made a calculation. Plus he was shooting, I guess, one of the Mission Impossibles or whatever. So theoretically it wasn't even – or according to them, it wasn't even an option. But, yeah, I on the other hand, yeah, people get very excited about him. I think their biggest miscalculation seems to have been accepting an honorary you know, PGA award for him because it does make you wonder if voters felt, oh, all right, so the movie is being acknowledged at the PGA Awards. We don't have to vote for it for the top PGA Award, which is, you know, that was probably the place where they had the best shot, given the yeah. preferential ballot and that 
you know, commercial movies are going to play better with producers than anybody. And, you know, I just think that may have been a, a miscalculation. And um, so weirdly, one of the few times he showed up may have actually hurt them, but um, we'll never know. And yet you still have Top Gun Maverick sitting at number three in your uh, best picture ranking at the latest forecast, which honestly, it's a little I'm, I, I'm not so surprised that Top Gun is top three more than I am that you have Banshees at number five. And I think a lot of people would think that Banshees would be no worse than third. Can you just talk through that uh, decision, that ranking? Yeah, I mean, I think Banshees is a more polarizing movie. It's like, you know, uh, it's hard to dislike and hard to find people who, who just outright dislike Top Gun. Maverick, it's a kind of old-fashioned, uh, rah-rah, you know, kind of movie. <laughs> and But Banshees is polarizing. There are people who say, wait a minute, this whole movie, what's this guy's cutting off his fingers to, to make a point about, uh, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't compute for everyone. So, um, but, and, and look, Top Gun does have the benefit of that narrative that even Spielberg brought up that we talked about. This was a movie that was hugely successful that was, uh, you know, um, a landmark. And so I do think that that is something that we can't um, undersell. Now, yes, yeah, Searchlight's had great success at the Oscars in recent years. I don't like to ever bet against them. But I just think that uh, Banshees is a bit of a is, – is not um, – weirdly, you know, it's not Nomadland or something where – or one of their recent other winners where this one is just there. It's more again, love, hate building on the top gun thing. I am very curious to see what the ratings are going to be this year. Cause we've heard and we've read studies and, and you, you've wrote some, some stuff on this in the past about how the bigger movies, you know, bring more viewers to, to the Oscar night. And Nielsen had 15.6 million viewers for the 94th. Obviously, that spiked a little bit with the whole Will Smith thing. Do you expect the ratings to go up this year? We've seen some other award shows ratings go up, and we've been told all year that the Top Guns being involved and the Avatars being involved is going to bump it. But I'm not. I'm a little suspicious because when we had Lord of the Rings and Titanic sweeping, that's what people tuned into. In my opinion, they were. They were tuning in to those movies winning, not just being nominated. What do you think of Top Gun and Avatar being here? Does it does it matter that much to the casual viewer? Well, if it do, if the ratings don't go up this year, then it's then it's you know time to put the Oscars on life support because uh, it's really going to be a problem. They, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying that people thought Titanic and Lord of the Rings were going to win, but you know, there are people who probably think Top Gun Maverick's going to win, and it, and it might. But mm -hmm. I just think that, yeah, the historic correlation has certainly been that the popularity of the movies at the box office, you know, correlates with the popularity of the Oscars telecast. And um, and so, and we're also coming off the two lowest rated Oscars ever. Two years ago, mm -hmm. it was partly because you know, we were all in lockdown. Very few people had seen the movies, even though they were all available for streaming. Nobody was going to theaters, which creates a level of excitement. So that wasn't there. You had an Oscars in a train station. You know, that it was just a perfect storm <laughs> yeah. of terrible and a terrible telecast. So that, you know, that being the lowest rated was not surprising. The fact that they rebounded a bit last year, it, you know, it couldn't have been much worse. 
than the year before. So that was a good sign. But I, I would expect that it goes up, you know, uh, a healthy amount this year. It's never going to go back to the anywhere near the levels of what we were just talking. You know, we sure. brought up Titanic. And that's never coming back. It was a different world. We didn't have the Internet as much in mm-hmm. our lives. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have so many other distractions. Uh, and so we're never going to get back there. But I do think that we'll see a, a bit of a rebound and that will be a, a good thing for the Academy. Also, they're going to promote the hell out of the fact that you've got Rihanna confirmed to perform. You've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I think they're for, for international viewing, they've got, you know, not to, not to is maybe doesn't mean that much to a ton of Americans, but you're going to have all of India watching. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, mm-hmm. it's in the way that you did with Slumdog Millionaire. So, um, there are, there are a variety of things here. Hopefully they'll still confirm a Lady Gaga performance. I don't know. Uh, there are going to be other surprises to be, you know, some announced, some not in advance of the telecast. I think it's, I think we're building towards a, a, a rebound. Awesome. Uh, that's, that's great to hear. And Scott, we cannot thank you enough. We'll get you out of here. I only got one more question for you. Yeah, thank sure. you for your time as always. Um, you've touched on maybe, you know, an issue with, cable and with television as it stands currently overall and that you know the internet and streaming and there's so many other options whether there is a rebound or not i mean the abc disney is still paying an exorbitant amount in in fees to the oscars where is the future of the oscars as you see it in terms of are they going to stick on cable i mean do they maybe go to disney plus obviously we have the golden globes which are talking with whoever and we had uh the sag just make a deal with netflix almost at the 11th hour for this year's program and for next year's program i mean the oscars have to be thinking about this i would think the academy has to be thinking about this but where do you see the oscars program itself going yeah i mean they're going to be the the last thing to go under if if you know award shows continue to struggle like they will (laughs) they're they're so it doesn't mean that that can't happen it's just going to be um you know, not the first one. So we've seen, as you said, like SAG was not on television this year. Uh, Golden Globes may not be on television next year. Like we're just moving in a, in a direction where this is less central to the cultural conversation. However, the Oscars are going to be, like I say, the one that if one is still on the air, it's going to be the Oscars. And I do think what's going to happen probably is that this deal, which I believe the current deal with Disney ABC, I think, runs through 2028, if I remember. Could mm-hmm. be 2026. I'm just kind of blanking. But uh, they're going to, you know, their next deal, they're not going to get as much money. That's just the reality. You, the, the, and the, basically the Academy makes all of its – the well, part of the reason they built the museum is, to, is so that they aren't totally dependent mm-hmm. for revenue on the telecast because I think they know that that, that income is not going to grow. Uh, what is very possible is that I think that they're unlikely to go to streaming. It's hard to predict, mm-hmm. you know, five years down the line, but I, I there may be a, a, a simulcast essentially where if it's on ABC and Disney plus uh, or it's on, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I do kind of think they're going to be available on whatever degree of linear television still remains in, in five years, like, there, this is a mass audience event. If you're paying to advertise in the same way that, you know, people who advertise on the Super Bowl do it because you're going to reach a lot of eyeballs. I think we have right. to keep it in perspective too, that yeah, the Oscars are not bringing in the ratings that they used to, but they're still 
compared to everything else out there, one of the most watched things of the year. So if you're an advertiser, it's still not a bad place to, to put your product. And it's just not, it's just not as valuable as it used to be. And just a quick note about the Titanic Oscars, just mm-hmm. to give you guys a little tidbit of info you might enjoy. The oral history of this year's Oscar issue is all about the that this is 25 years exactly from the Titanic Oscar ceremony, nice. which was the most watched ever. And we have some pretty juicy stuff, great stuff from Cameron, um, from all kinds of folks who were involved with that year's ceremony and, and talking about the ratings and, and Billy Crystal and talking about it. And anyway, so that, that will be addressed in our Oscar issue and online week of the Oscars. Well, we give you, you we give you the hammer for a reason, Scott, every season. Feinberg final. I thought maybe we threw you one softball question in there, but it's just like (laughs) one after another, man. No, I just hitting them back right past our head. Really appreciate it. As always. Thank you again. Thanks for having me and uh, enjoy the Oscars. Take care. You as well. There it is, the Feinberg final, and boy, what a what a conversation it is. What a conversation it is with Scott every year. We cannot thank him enough. I mean, our, our eternal thanks to him for doing this with us every year and our favorite Oscars conversation for Oscars week. Yeah, make sure you guys subscribe to Awards Chatter. Uh, it's one of our favorite podcasts. Uh, it's closing in on 500 episodes. He's interviewed you know everybody from the Oscar contenders, the Emmy contenders, the Tonys, uh, to Tony contenders, all the way through like like people that are famous on the world stage like Malala Malala Yousafzai yeah. like she's nominated I get it she's nominated as a producer for Stranger at the Gate Mike but we you know we we were just in awe of uh his his guest list this year certainly going back through you know he's had just one icon after another from Leto Letterman, Letterman, Oprah to, you know, Buzz Aldrin to Bill Gates, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Al Gore politicians. I mean, you, you, you name the, the celebrity, you name the, the world leader. He's, he's had him on the show, uh, awards chatter, uh, because it, it, yeah, it's, and it, it, it's amazing. He's got the same demeanor with, uh, with, with, with them that he does with, 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 you know, the sixth seed in the supporting actress category at the Tonys, right? So that's that's yeah. Scott Feinberg for you. So we really appreciate him. Make sure you guys subscribe to The Hollywood Reporter. Make sure you go to uh, thehollywoodreporter.com and uh, read his latest Feinberg forecast. He's got so many annual events uh, that are events to us in terms of uh, – you know his his pieces this week that'll show up in the print edition and that'll show up on the website. You guys know him, you love him. They're some of our favorite things uh, to read every year, and uh, yeah, go do that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, once again, our thanks to Scott, our thanks to the Hollywood Reporter for letting us have uh, Scott on every year. I mean, just uh, again. I don't know why the best in the business keep coming to us, but uh, we are in their debt and eternally grateful that they do and share a little bit of their time, especially during this busy time of year uh, with us. So our thanks to them, our thanks to THR, our thanks to Scott personally. And guys, as always, we want to hear from you. What did you think about any of the takes that Scott had on any of the questions asked? As well, as always, you can leave us your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social media. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MMO. 
M and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com dot com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple podcast or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, Michael, a great way to kick off Oscars week with the annual Feinberg finale here. Well, tell the good people what's coming next as we head towards Sunday night. Well, I got an itch. I got an itch, Mike, that I got to scratch. <laughs> I think it's time to make some bets. Uh, we will do our annual Oscar bets special and make our predictions. I am not going to do as well as I did last year. There's no chance of that, but I'm excited about these races. I'm excited about covering the show with you. So I don't know if we'll do another Oscar race checkpoint. I don't know if we'll review Scream 6. We're leaving that in, up in the air. We'll do it all uh, going forward, but I don't know yeah. if we're going to squeeze a third episode into next week or what, but we, we obviously got our Oscars night and our post-Oscars show. That'll come out next week for you all as well. So thanks for listening. This is the sprint, the home sprint, the home stretch here. We are in it. Uh, Our thanks once again to Scott Feinberg. Our thanks to the Hollywood Reporter. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come listen to the best in the business with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.